I am Planta on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. One of uh, the better books of the season is one I've been looking forward to for a while now. Anybody that uh, knows Rona Maynard knows in recent years uh, she and her husband Paul added a dog to the family. Casey, through Rona's accounts on Facebook, is more than a pet, and he's added uh, so much to their lives, especially Rona's, who, when uh, Paul brought up the subject of getting a dog, refused. In Starter Dog, My Path to Joy, Belonging and Loving This World, she recounts how Casey found his way into Rona and Paul's home, especially Rona's heart. We see a person transformed, and what's enjoyable to read is her outlook on life and the people that she encounters along the way, people she might not have had any interaction with were it not for Casey. Rona joins me now to discuss the book and more. She first appeared on the program in 2008 when her memoir, My Mother's Daughter, another great book, was published. She appeared a few times after that, though it's uh, been nearly 12 years since she was last on. I've always liked her frank, clear voice over the phone or on the page. Uh, A lot of people read her uh, editor's note in uh, Chatelaine between 1995 and 2004 when she was its editor. Something like one in four English-speaking women in Canada read that magazine then. She is uh, a noted public speaker and lecturer on memoir and mental health. She was honored by the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health for her advocacy on mental health that uh, began with a column she wrote in 1997 where she discussed her depression. Visit RonaMaynard.com for more. This uh, new book is published by ECW Press. We spoke late last week. Please uh, welcome back to the Plant Online program, Rona Maynard. Ms. Maynard, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for uh, joining us. Um, what's delightful as I, I uh, started the book was uh, realizing, because I'd followed the, this journey with Casey on Facebook over the years, um, I, I didn't really have an idea of how resistant you were to the idea of getting a dog. It was your husband, Paul, who really wanted it, right? Yes, he had loved dogs all his life and very much wanted to have a dog, but the time was never right, and the time was starting to slip away. So I was carried away by the depth of his desire for a dog. I didn't know if I could love a dog, but I knew I loved my husband. And so um, you, and it's not overnight that you decide to do this and, and bring a dog. It's a, it, as I read in the book, it's about two years, right? Well, he made me commit, or he, he extracted this commitment from me, uh, that I would allow a dog in our home as long as the dog didn't uh, presume to sleep in our bed. Mm-hmm. But I was not about to jump on this right away, and I made it quite difficult for us to find a dog. You were, doing, you were doing research as to what kind of breed as well. Yes, right? yeah. I, I had to have the right size, the right temperament. I had this long, complicated wish list. And meanwhile, uh, travel was important to us. Mm. And we were always going off somewhere. We had... Uh, decided at the outset that once we brought a dog into our home, we were going to be there for six months to give a solid base Mm -hmm. to the new family member. And finally, we looked at each other and realized we would have to cancel a trip 
or we were just never going to do it. Mm. You know, you get to a point as you age where you've seen a lot of possibilities evaporate for yourself because you didn't go after them when the time was right. Where do you think this this reticence to um, get a dog all these years? Because, I mean, when when your son was growing up, you, you had a cat, is that right? We had various cats, yeah. yes. But, but, the, but the dog, um, as I read it at the, at the beginning of the book, it, it seems like um, th- there's something there that, um, and, and you do reveal this th- throughout the book, that, that I guess there was a dog when you were growing up, Nikki, that, that uh, yes. you didn't like, right? Uh, I was very conflicted about the Maynard family dog, Nikki. Uh, Nikki was a poodle. He was a smart dog and a sweet-natured dog. But he came into our family with a mission that no dog should ever have. The mission was to stop my father from drinking. He was never a true family pet, and he failed in his mission. So he became a very morose dog, a disappointed dog. I think animals know when humans have a plan for them and they're just not up to it. So so there's an episode uh, uh, later on when you bring your son Ben um, to your dad's and, and Nikki by then is quite old. That's um, right. Could, could you paint, was... paint a picture to, to just because you described him as morose a moment ago at that old age say how would he go about himself on that trip there? Because he also saved Ben's life, right? I I would say, uh, yes, he did. Um, He was a discontented dog. When he was in, he wanted to be out. When he was out, he wanted to be in. Mm. But his essential sweetness was still there. And when Ben threw pots and pans at him, Nicky would just gently pat away. He would never snap. Which Casey would do, by the way. Casey would for sure snap at any child who was uh, offensive to him. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day I put Ben in his stroller and wheeled him over to the University of New Hampshire barns. The university had an agriculture department and the students. Uh, looked after livestock, but the barns were not tended most of the time. And it was understood in the town that parents would bring their kids to look at the animals, but they would mind the kids. Mm-hmm. And Ben saw, and Nicky had tagged along with us. Uh, he always did. Ben saw cattle, and he started toddling towards them. Uh, yelling, cow, cow, and Nikki growled. Nikki did not like this at all. Mm-hmm. He knew that something was up. The cows began to mass, and they began to approach us in a very threatening way. Ben could have been trampled by my uh, foolishness. I was just so ignorant of animals and their ways. But 
Nikki was not ignorant. Nikki got it, and he gave us the warning, and I was able to get Ben away in time. I just was not very interested in animals. I was uh, very firm in my belief that anything in the world worth paying attention to had been created by a human. So it was art and music and books and architecture and theater. And I was quite oblivious to nature. That started to change when Casey joined the family. Casey became a bridge to the natural world. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful journey that you narrate in the book um, of how uh, not only bringing Casey into your, your lives, but how you change. And, and th th there's another scene in the book where um, you're posting photos of Casey on, on Facebook and your sister Joyce um, sees these and she, uh, I don't know if she writes a comment or sends you a note and says that... She calls uh, me. She calls you and then she says yeah. that you look cracked open. What, what does that feel like for you? It was like a whole other color on the spectrum or another note on the emotional register. I was used to feeling what I had felt all my life, these very familiar emotional notes. And suddenly there was this new thing, and it wasn't something I could readily express words. And it was a very safe and comforting feeling, which uh, having a baby was not. I, I became a mother very young, so I was not really up to it. I was not prepared. I had a pretty rocky marriage at, at that point. Uh, Paul and I were 21 years old. We hadn't known each other very long. We were untested. We knew nothing about children and had very little money. So I could not fall rapturously in love with a baby and feel that I really understood him, that I was the one for him. I was very worried about doing the wrong thing. And worried that I would break him or hurt him emotionally in some way. And uh, Casey was this knocked-about dog, rescue dog, uh, with scars on all four legs. He was a resilient little critter, and I wasn't afraid at all of hurting him. Hmm. And, 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 and for people listening, he'd come from Ohio. Yes. And and uh, uh, the story is that he was raised in a prison or trained in a prison? He was trained in a prison. What happened was that he was born unwanted. Uh, most people in those parts who need a hound already have one. Mm -hmm. So he was taken to the shelter as a puppy, and they had an arrangement with a prison in the town uh, where the prisoners who qualify are paired with a dog that they train, one prisoner per dog. So the prisoner gets a warm, furry companion 
to inject some light and friendship into his world, and the dog learns to trust another to, to trust a human being mm-hmm. and learns basic commands. Then, after uh, a certain period of time, I think it's a year, the dogs are sent back to the shelter. And I'm not sure why, but he was collected by Canadian volunteers and brought over the border to uh, suburban Toronto. Yeah, the idea was yeah. that, that this tr- prison training would make the dogs adoptable. Yeah. And there are programs like this all over the United States. I don't know about Canada. Yeah, there, I saw something on the local news here about a year ago about a group of volunteers flying a bunch of dogs from Mexico into the lower mainland here in, 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 in B.C. and, and uh, adopting them out. Rescuing well, them. It, 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 it's sometimes, and this was the case, I guess, in, in, in your situation, that, that um, um, they were being rescued from, from a, a kill shelter or something like that, right? Well, we were told that it yeah. was a high-kill shelter. Mm. But a lot of what the rescue people told us turned out not to be true. They told us he was a lab pug mix. We've had his DNA done. There's mm-hmm. no lab, no pug. They told us he was 30 pounds. He was 40 pounds. And they told us that he was saved from death at a high-kill shelter. And we actually visited that shelter. We were, we were <laughs> yeah. so nuts about our dog <laughs> that uh, we actually planned a road trip to Belmont County, Ohio, Casey's old stomping ground, mm-hmm. and we visited the shelter where I was told with utter horror, mm-hmm. no, this isn't a high-kill shelter, this is a no-kill shelter. And the people working there at the time had no idea how he got to Canada because yeah. they said they, they, they didn't have the need for any Canadians to swoop in and save the lives of dogs. But rescue organization, because they were absolutely right about the most important thing. They told us that Casey was perfect for us, and he is. But sometimes when people go looking for something, whether it's a home or a romantic partner or a dog, They will have this long, long list of requirements. And there's a reason we talk about the perfect being the enemy of the good. Mm, Right. People close a lot of possibilities for themselves by having an image in their minds of who or what they want. Yeah. And, and it's quite profound as I read the book um, how you change as a person. Um, and and there's a scene where you ask your sister about um, whether you both were taught kindness as kids, and and um, and she it, says we weren't. Yeah, and it kind of, kind of broke my heart when I read that um, because it it took you 
a while to realize that. Oh, yes. Uh, kindness was not a value where I was growing up. It was all about achievement, particularly in the arts, and getting into uh, a good college. Um, I did not get into a good enough school. Uh, it was good, but not good enough. And I always felt that while my parents loved me, I, achievement was like the year-end bonus in a job. And if you didn't achieve, you didn't get your bonus. So they were so fixated on that that they did not stress the importance of caring about other people and living creatures and the earth. They really didn't talk much about that at all. They went through the motions of teaching me manners, teaching me to say thank you for things and write thank you notes to my grandmother. But that was because uh, they didn't want to be embarrassed mm. by a, a rude child. And if you raise children to be considerate, they will naturally do those things. Yeah. You don't always have to be coming down hard on them about letting the side down. Yeah, yeah. And, and we see um, your, your growth as a person, if you will, um, once Casey comes into your life. Um, the other question I had, uh, just as I was thinking about what you are saying, was um, does, do you think Casey has changed how you feel about other humans? I, I, I already know the answer yeah. to that, but, but uh, you know, I think of the F-bomb guy that you encounter. I think of the, the preacher on the bus. Um, yeah. You, you have... You also have hatred towards these two people, right? Well, uh, for the most part, Casey awakened me to the humanity in others. Uh, he got me talking to people I would have charged right past. Uh, I live downtown. I meet a lot of homeless people when I walk with Casey. And... Uh, I have little conversations with them because a lot of them love dogs, mm -hmm. had a dog once, wish they could have a dog. They want to pet a dog, and petting a dog is the highlight of their day. I am able to give them that uh, or to mediate that process with Casey. But I did meet a couple of very cruel, dangerous people, men, Mm -hmm. uh, that I talk about in the book. And the one you called the preacher was the white supremacist who was haranguing a Muslim woman on a bus. And nobody said anything. Yeah. And, and you do something that, that I think um, a lot of us wish we could do, and, and you sit next to her, don't you? Well... Um, not quite. I stand up and I challenge him. Oh, yeah, that's right. I ask yeah. him to, I tell him to stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tell him we've all had enough and he's got to stop. 
and he pushed back. I, he stopped spewing venom at her, but he spouted nonsense to me. I, he said to me, Jesus said, mind your own business. And I said, no, Jesus said, love one another. Interestingly, nobody backed me up. They all looked away. The woman he had been abusing was uh, uh, wearing um, a long black robe Mm -hmm. and a veil. She was resting her cheek against the window of the bus, and I thought I saw a tear in her eye. Uh, I don't know if she could speak English, but she definitely knew that she had been targeted. Somebody else might have sat beside her, but I felt uh, that someone had to Someone had to be a leader, and someone had to tell this guy to shut up. So would you have done that before, Casey? No, absolutely not. I would have done what everybody else did. Mm. You know, people people try to pretend it's not happening, and people will say to themselves, well, it's not my problem, I don't want to get involved. I saw a woman shaking her head at this man. She was an older woman, a woman my age. Uh, muttering under her breath, but she took her shopping cart and she got off the bus because she didn't want to get drawn into a confrontation and miss her stop. So she knew what the right thing was. She just wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I got off the bus and I had to ask myself, what I had accomplished, if anything, because nobody did anything. And what I concluded was that the woman, the Muslim woman, realized that somebody was at least trying to defend her. She was not completely alone. Uh And the other people on the bus, even if they didn't do anything, probably thought about it afterwards. Yeah. And I imagine that some of them ask themselves, what will I do next time this happens? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think a lot of people who read the, that part of the book will um, think about what they'll do next time. I certainly hope so, because yeah. there's going to be a next time. Indeed. Um, there, there are some nice people that you meet along, nice men that you meet along the way uh, on your oh, walks yes. with Casey. And um, the, the um, pe- people have asked you over the years, I mean, when you downsized, you moved from Rosedale, say, to downtown, if you'd miss Rosedale. And, and um, I guess Casey helps you feel like you're part of the neighborhood or part of the community now. That you, yes, you, you probably because never felt before, right? I it's no longer just a place where I buy my groceries and go about my business, and where I do fitness walks. The fastest person on the sidewalk. It is a place where I engage with my community and also with visitors. When you walk a dog 
you tend to be asked for directions much more than if you don't. (laughs) Because people know that somebody who walks a dog lives there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, By the way, uh, uh, Casey and Paul got along quite quickly they got, got, got on quite quickly oh yeah um, Paul knew right away so he's still the favorite between the two of you right he is but that's not why uh, I think there are a couple of reasons one Paul is a big burly guy and Casey was trained in a prison mm. surrounded by big burly guys I, he has a preference for men and I think it's because he came from such a male environment. He is skittish around children. And, again, back to the prison. There weren't any children there. Yeah. Also, Paul has a free hand with the treats. <laughs> and uh, I'm more of a hard ass. <laughs> um, there, there, there are a couple of beautiful scenes where, where it's you and Paul either uh, in bed or watching television and Casey's between the two of you and Casey falls asleep and and you wonder well I guess you know what he's dreaming about and and but I've, I've always wondered what dogs think about and especially when they're asleep if they do dream oh they do dream I yeah. think it's it's generally accepted that they do dream and uh, often uh, we see their limbs twitching as if they're running in a dream, and we see their noses twitch. And uh, it would certainly seem that in their dreams, um, in these particular dreams anyway, they're hunting. Mm. They're so unlike us. Yeah, yeah. Um, The book is called Starter Dog. Um, Yeah. you know, it, it, when you when you hear that, it sounds as if Casey's the first. But when you say first, um, there's a suggestion that um, one day uh, he won't be around and, and there'll be another dog. Um, have you have you thought about that? Because oh yes, yes I have. I yeah. uh, and sometimes we also think, isn't it a shame that we waited? Uh, until age 65 to get a dog think of all the dogs we could have loved that um, we missed out on because we thought we couldn't have a dog but I think we can probably have one more Mm -hmm. however the next dog is going to be smaller and I certainly would not uh get a young dog next time I look for an older dog more sedate dog and I would be we would both be much more determined to train him right you know with this first dog we thought his rambunctiousness was cute Mm -hmm. and so we never really curbed him too much. He gets terribly excited about going out, about his dinner, and he tears around, and he jumps, and he twirls, and it's adorable, but it is also a little dangerous because he could easily knock one of us over. And as you get older, you really don't want that to happen. 
Um, but by the way, I'm, I'm talking to you on a Friday afternoon, 5.30 your time. Where's Casey right now? Casey is out with Paul exploring a park. They have uh, favorite routes, and Casey and I have different routes. Um, um, you also describe in the book your, your grandson coming over to visit, um, and him and Casey not really getting along, and, and, and this is because your grandson's a child, right? Yes. Well, he's a teenager now, but at the time he was about uh, eight years old, and he wanted a dog. His parents uh, wouldn't have one for the usual reasons. Uh -huh. uh, we're too busy. Uh, we don't want the mess. And I had naively thought, I, I guess Paul and I both did, that Casey would, uh, in a way, be Cameron's dog, too. Yeah. And that sometimes... Uh, the family would dog sit, but it became clear very quickly that they were not hitting it off. Mm. Casey was not used to children, and Cameron, being an only child uh, without any pets ever, was easily intimidated. So it didn't work. And if we had known that Casey was not good with children, we might have kept looking. Mm. What a shame yeah. that would have been. Uh, good with children was on my wish list. Mm -hmm. And we asked when we met him uh, for the adoption, uh, does he get along with kids? Oh, yes, no problem. Well, not quite true. So when um, you said a moment ago um, you wonder... Um, of all the dogs that you could have had if you if you had one sooner, what do you like with with uh, Cameron and his parents? Are, are you telling them that they should start now having a dog, say, in their house? Uh, no, I would never tell them that. Uh, uh, I would never tell them they they should have a dog uh, because a dog's a huge obligation, yeah. much more so than a cat. I have said, but I've shut up about it, that uh, a cat uh, would be nice for Cameron, and he would have he would have liked a cat. Yeah. They got him a lizard. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a lizard is not a, a pet that a child can really interact with. No. When when Ben was a child. He had a cat, and he, he was close to his cat. Yeah. But you, you just can't lecture your children. Uh, they're going to do things their way. Uh, I made it clear what I thought, and then I just dropped the matter because it's not my life. It's theirs. And I think my daughter-in-law would have been happy enough to to uh, have um, a livelier pet mm -hmm. than a lizard, but um, Ben didn't want one. Yeah. So there you go. Um, the other thing I was thinking about as I was finishing the book was that, that there would be people who read this 
and um, want to get a dog now. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. So that's something that, that uh, but, but it, these are things that you have to think about, too. You can't just, um, I mean, th there are certain things that you, you shouldn't think about, um, but it is an obligation, isn't it? It is a, yeah. it is a great obligation because uh, dogs need a lot of companionship. And if you're going to be out of the house all day, uh, which is less of an issue now, post-pandemic, but oh. certainly still an issue for some, then it, it's going to be very hard for the dog unless you get a dog walker or put your dog in doggy daycare. So our for a long time, we didn't get a dog for exactly that reason. Mm. Uh, we worked too hard. The dog shouldn't be alone. Uh, there were ways around that. We had good jobs. Um, we could have afforded for some to, somebody to come and walk the dog a couple times a day mm -hmm. and uh, could have left work sooner than we did. There was no reason for me, anyway, to work as late at the office as I did because uh, past about 6 o'clock, I wasn't ac accomplishing much anyway. But I had fallen into this habit of being wedded to the job because nobody needed me at home. And if, if I'd had a dog waiting for me at home, I would have left earlier. I could have. Yeah. Speaking of work, there's, a, there's another moment in the book where um, you talk about a colleague who took time off when their dog died. Oh, that's right. And, and I was so censorious. Not to her face. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this was back uh, around 1980 or so, and it was a, a very sexist work environment. Uh, old guard men ran the place, and they thought women were wimps. And so when a woman stayed home to mourn her dog, uh, they said, nasty things and I believed that she was letting the side down mm. that as a woman in a place where women were not valued she owed it to everybody to buck up mm. but I didn't know that the loss of a dog is just as devastating to people as the loss of a human. Yeah. For many people, the dog is the most important relationship in their life. So, as um, one finishes a book, we see you know a, 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 a person, you, um, experiences this this personal growth, if you will, and 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 it's exciting to read. Um, you're obviously a different person than, than the, the person I spoke to when your first book came out. I had to look this up. It was 2008, um, wow. 15 years ago. Um, do, do you think you're a different writer as a result of all of this? Yes. Well, a writer is always evolving anyway. If, if you're not, uh, there is something wrong. But I go much more deeply into moments now into the texture of a moment and I am 
intent on every walk on finding what has changed since the last walk. Mm. I look for the small marvel, and if I look, I find it. If I don't find it, it means that uh, I was lost in, in thought instead of being fully present uh, on the earth. So I will watch a robin build its nest. Never did that before. I will observe the behavior of earthworms after rain. Uh, pay attention to frogs and birds and to what is changing on the streets near my home. During the pandemic, somebody put three perfect apples in a disused water fountain. It had been turned off because it was back in that time when yeah. people thought water fountains were unsafe right. and that they spread COVID. There were a lot of hungry people about. So someone left three apples in the fountain, and it was such a beautiful sight that I took a picture. It was an impromptu still life, but it was feeding people. How perfect is that? Yeah. This is the kind of thing that you see when you slow down and you do not see it if you're always in a hurry. Yeah, that's what makes this book um, not only a great read, a beautiful one at that, but but a useful one. I think people will read it and get what they need out of it. Um, the other thing um, I was thinking about as I was preparing for a chat, um, I can't be the only one who wonders why it took 15 years between books. Um, oh, <laughs> Well, I'm a very slow writer, uh, for one thing, but also, after the first book, I felt all written out. Mm. I had poured a lot of myself and my thinking into my mother's daughter. I was very proud of it, and felt completely empty after it went into the world. I continued to write. I worked on a blog, and uh, then I wrote Facebook posts that were more like essays. Yeah. So I always had things to say, mm -hmm. and people were reading them. But I didn't know what I was writing about. I couldn't find a theme. I would look at all the things I'd written, and ask myself, where is this going? Is there a book in here? And I could never find one. They were little scraps, squares for a quilt, but they would never keep anybody warm. They were beads, but they were not a necklace. Mm -hmm. And things changed when a former colleague of mine sent me a note and said, these, these posts about Casey have the makings of a book. Yeah. I decided to take her words to heart. I thought it was going to be simple. It was not simple because I still could not 
pull a narrative arc out of all these moments. And writing about joy is a lot harder, for me anyway, than writing about trauma and Mm, disappointment because with joy, there's nothing, there's no obstacle for the writer to push against. Conflict makes writing interesting. Conflict animates writing and gets the reader thinking, oh, how's she going to get out of this? How can she resolve this problem? Well, there wasn't a problem as I saw it. Mm -hmm. And And then I realized, yeah, there is a problem. The problem that I'm trying to solve in my life is to find my sense of purpose again, to feel a sense of belonging, and rekindle joy. The subtitle of my book, and I thought about it Mm -hmm. a long time, is my path to joy, belonging, and loving the, this world. Those are the three things I wanted. It seems so obvious now, mm-hmm. but it actually took a long time to crystallize them. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I, I know I'm speaking for a lot of readers who, who, who probably feel this once they've read the book, that... that um, uh, I guess I'm happy for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, I have discovered the taste of happiness and the texture of happiness. I never went looking for happiness. I thought there was something kind of boring about it. I was drawn to states of conflict in which I was trying to solve a puzzle. Mm. And where's the puzzle in happiness? It just kind of is. It just floats along. Well, that's exactly the point. Happiness is about being present. It is about showing up for your life, whatever it brings. And it does coexist with grief and loss. This is something that I discovered while I was writing the book. Uh, It is a joyful book, but I do reflect on how deeply I miss my best friend who died and how I can still be overcome with grief that she is gone that she cannot share a moment of joy with me. And I had a daydream about her. I daydreamed that we went for a walk with Casey Mm -hmm. in one of the Toronto ravines. This is something that never could have happened because I didn't have a dog during her lifetime. But I went there in my mind, and she said one thing, and I could see it, and I could see how happy she was that I had found Casey. And I came out of the daydream 
feeling lighter, feeling that a weight had left me. And after that, I never again felt the same uh, wild grief rising up. I'm not saying it never will again. Sure, yeah. Because after someone you love is gone, years can pass, and, and you will suddenly feel this deep longing, this anguish that you need them and, and they aren't there. But I learned through writing this daydream about Casey that I can bring her back in my mind. Yeah, and and that's another great part of the book because it, yeah, there are funny, there are laugh out loud moments, of course, um, there are profound moments of, of uh, thoughtfulness, and, and of course you work through the grief of your friend Val and and your father. Um, I guess both Val and your dad would have liked Casey, right? Oh yes, they would. They would so much have liked him. Uh, my father was a great animal lover, and really related more comfortably to animals than he did to his own kind. Mm. Nikki, yeah. With Nikki, it didn't go so well because Nikki couldn't uh, make him happy from one day to the next. But uh, so delighted to have Casey come gambling up to him. Yeah. Rona, this is a, a remarkable book. I, I liked it a great deal. It's one of my favorite books already this year. Uh, congr- oh, thank you. Congratulations and good luck with it. I also looked it up the last time you were on. You, you used to come on uh, rather frequently at, at my request. It's been more than ten years. I, I apologize for the for the. Well, I stretch. didn't have a book. <laughs> well, you were you were you were always kind to come on, even just to chat, and I, I always appreciated that and and. Uh, I hope it's not another 11 or 12 years oh, when no, you'll be on it again. Oh, no, won't be. We better not. <laughs> Thanks for this. Okay, thank you, Joe. The website for more is at ronamaynard.com. The book is called Starter Dog, My Path to Joy, Belonging, and Loving This World. It's uh, published by ECW Press. Its author, Rona Maynard, join me on the line from Toronto in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunton.